Club Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to ALRPRA Weekly Law Practice Management Radio. ALRPRA is a national law practice management agency headquartered in DuPage County, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. The ALRPRA production division is called Pleading Drafter, which focuses on law firm attorney and staff placement, law practice management audits, billing audits, courier and process services, as well as our eBay store, through which we sell our law firm clients' gently used office equipment. The ALRPRA promotion division, called Law Publicist, focuses on law firm marketing, branding, and image consulting, as well as traditional public relations functions, including monthly communication services, including copywriting for your law firm blog, newsletter, social media, as well as article publishing in your target markets. Team ALRPRA uses this radio show to promote relevant law practice management guests. We offer free monthly social media conference calls as well with tips and trends that the law firms are using uh, these days to increase activity and promote their messages. Uh, we also have a monthly easing called the Law Publicist on Point, which features law practice management articles and resources. And we are always looking for great content and advertisers for the On Point. Today is Thursday, March 25th, and I'm your host, Nick Augustine. Today's guest is credit damage expert George Finder, and we have a temporary technical uh, issue here with the show because we are broadcasting not from our regular location but from on the road. So if you would not mind, uh, listeners, to uh, hold shortly, and uh, we should uh, be able to patch in with uh, credit damage expert George Finder very soon. Um, Again, the topic for today is discussing how George Finder as a credit damage expert is able to actually put a dollar amount on credit damage issues that uh, divorce and family law clients may may have. And that is something that can occur not only within uh, the area of regular divorce cases, um, but also on the post-decree end. Um, so I beg your apologize, I apologize and uh, ask you to please hold shortly um, while we get connected to a George Finder who is actually in California today, um, which is where he's located. However, uh, George Finder is able to uh, work with attorneys all over the country. So we look forward to having George Finder on the show today. Uh, we'll momentarily be, uh, be going, getting going here. So I uh, appreciate your patience. We normally don't have technical difficulties, um, so I apologize, and we should be with you shortly. Okay, it looks like we are soon to have George with us. One more minute. Please hold again. One more moment. I apologize for the temporary technical difficulty.
Oh, okay, so I can do can you just go to my tab? Yes, go under URL bar and just type All right, thank you very much. Our thanks today to uh, the Wingate by Wyndham in northwest suburban Chicagoland where uh, we are launching our broadcast from today. Um, part of uh, ALR PRA services include uh, the uh, dispatch of, of certain documents between offices and such. So as part of our, sur our courier service, actually, I get to be the one today to, uh, to be running around, so to speak, and uh, I'll actually be on the road to downtown Chicago while we conduct the show. Um, you might find it interesting that our show is actually conducted through Blog Talk Radio, which is Internet-based, so from any location we can sign on and uh, host the show. So that's a nice, that's a nice feature. So um, as we were waiting for the, uh, the operator here at the Wyndham to uh, connect us, we're now going to the switchboard to see if George is there waiting. So um, a little bit of a, a snafu today, not, not a typical day for us here, but we have an intern and staff that are all on spring break. So um, while they're on spring break, their boss, Nick, gets to up. Oh, so here's George Finder. Let's get him on there. George, are you there? I'm here. George. I'm here. Hi, George. Are you there? I'm here. All right. We, <laughs> all right, George. Right. We are, I can hear you all right, and I'm sure everyone at, at, uh, out there can hear as well. Um, okay. I, I got called away to the, to the suburbs to make some deliveries, and I'm on my way downtown. So we are actually both uh, going from our cell phones today. So, um, George, I already introduced you uh, as our credit damage expert, and that you can actually put a dollar amount on credit damage, uh, damage to credit reputation. Um, by way of bio, George, would you like to tell folks out there a little bit about how you came to be the credit damage expert? Well, in 1995, I was doing a actually 1994, I was doing a seminar for the uh, California State Bar, a CLE presentation which they had recently approved on credit reports, misconceptions and realities. And one of the attendees of that, a litigator, came up to me uh, at the said that he had a client who had been defrauded out of a piece of real estate um, and found out about it when she went to buy a new piece of real estate because she was under the belief that she had sold the previous piece of real estate. So it turned out that her real estate agent had defrauded her out of a $140,000 uh, condo, and which tells you how long ago this was. And <laughs> right. um, the insurance company had taken the position that, yes, they were going to pay her for the loss of the property and they were going to give her some other restitution. But she had found out uh, immediately that she would no longer be able to borrow money the same way that she did after foreclosure appeared in her credit report as before it appeared in her credit report. And she was livid. She was really PO'd. And basically, she told the insurance company, I want to get paid for that damage. Your guys are going to cost me a lot of money. And they said, well, you know, that may be true, but because we can't measure it, we don't have to pay you a nickel. On the other hand, because we're wonderful people, we're going to give you sympathy payments of $4,500. And she laughed at him. Angry, of course. And her attorney, when he was attending my 
uh, presentation on credit reports, heard me say all the wonderful things that I say, and he challenged me to come up with a damage figure that was measured and so became compensable. And right, so I'm sure the attorney was. I'm sure the attorney was just assuming that you weren't going to be able to come up with anything. No, he was very optimistic. He he knew that his paycheck uh, was going to be dependent on the amount of the uh, check from the insurance company, so he wanted that check to be as large as possible. Oh, okay, I see. Okay, and uh, remember, this is the plaintiff's attorney, not the defense. Oh, I see the so, plaintiff's attorney. Sorry, my right. And so he uh, challenged me to do it, and um, I testified in arbitration, which is where this had uh, gone, and it, the coverage was errors and omissions insurance, so there was a million-dollar policy covering her, um, and her damages were well under that. But mm -hmm. they tried to disqualify me as an expert because I had never worked for a mortgage company. I had never worked for... Uh, a loan company. I'd never worked for a real estate company. They said, how the heck did you know anything about this? And right. so the, arbit the, the arbitrator said, let's listen to what he has to say. And um, the only thing that got me accepted, I believe, by him is that I was doing CLE presentations. Well, an hour and a half later, the arbitrator seemed to like what I said because the next day, his ruling came in at $39,000 instead of $4,500 that the insurance company had to pay to the plaintiff. Wow. And obviously I measured and, and I used standard uh, lending documentation, standard financial documentation as the foundation for the development of the damages. And as an example, uh, nobody seemed to pay any attention that as part of the new borrowing requirement for the plaintiff, instead of being able to borrow basically on her signature uh, plus closing costs, in addition, in addition to closing costs, they were requiring her to come up with $25 cash. Mm -hmm. And so I said to the arbitrator, I said, to me that's a damage. When you've got to take an extra $25,000 out of your pocket, that's a damage. And he Certainly. Said, yep. She wouldn't have been I able said, to buy it otherwise. Exactly. And I said, and her interest rate went from, uh, I don't remember what it was now, but her interest rate went up by two points approximately, and that was damage. And uh, I had done the calculations over a seven-year period because that's how long uh, creditor direct remarks are allowed to appear in the credit report. And we calculated the difference in cost for those years, and $39,000 was a magic number. Wow. Wow. What, and, you know, so, that, they, so they had, <laughs> they had no idea. They didn't, did, they, did they see you coming? Did they know that you were going to be able to do that? Nope. Everybody on the insurance side said, uh, this is a fluke. It will never happen again. And about mm -hmm. 12 times in the, in the next year, not only on real estate but other issues, uh, I prevailed. Uh, I had a, uh, and my work, just so everybody knows, is about pretty equally balanced between defense and plaintiffs. Uh, if you did something wrong, you should pay for it. If you didn't do anything wrong, you shouldn't have to pay. And so I'm able to keep fairness in the picture when it comes to credit. 
I'll tell you what, George, I have had so many people who have just almost jumped out of their skin when I told them that they could walk into a pretrial with one of your reports that has a dollar amount on the credit damage, um, especially in divorce court um, and the post-degree side uh, where uh, you know, one party is uh, supposed to be paying for, let's say, the house. One party is supposed to pay for the vacation property, and the party paying for the vacation property says, I'm going to stick it to my spouse by not paying and ruin their credit. And, you know, these things have happened. And I remember, you know, years ago when I was a pup in law school uh, asking um, one of the attorneys I was doing work for, I, you know, how they can get away with it because these people's credit are, you know, credit's being injured. And, you know, he just said, well, you know, the court doesn't care about that. There's nothing they can do. The order is the order. So, you know, there was always well, this, uh, you know, issue out there. It's not quite that cut and dried since I've appeared on the scene. If okay. you have an expert that can explain to the court, what the measurable damage is. See, it's one thing to just say, well, I'm hurt and I'm injured and such, and I want punitive damages. Well, the court has to ask based on what. What, you know, what are we going to do this on? Um, and the, unless you organize the information and you focus the numbers, uh, it's not going to happen. Uh, I just recently completed a, uh, a divorce matter where the, uh, the wife, uh, had been assigned uh, residency of the house and to take money that was part of her uh, alimony and make the mortgage payments with the eye that in a few years, I think it was five years down the road, they would sell the property and split the, the proceeds. Well, she decided it was more important for her to get a new Corvette than it was to pay the mortgage. And it right. certainly didn't bother her that the negative information would appear on her husband's credit report as well as her own. And this gal had been in the mortgage business, so she knew exactly what she was doing. Well, what we did in that case is it, it went. I measured the damage to the uh, husband. And by the way, husbands are usually the perpetrators, not the victims. But in this case, he was the victim. And we were able to, his uh, alimony was $8,000 a month. And we were able to, uh, and he had eight years of payments that he had to make. And I don't know why it was that specific, but that's what it was. And we were able to get three years of that removed from his obligation to compensate him for what his wife had done to him. Oh, that's huge. Yes, that is huge. Uh, <laughs> and, and I mean, it really makes your lawyer look like a hero when you can help, too. Oh, absolutely. Now, I just did another case. You know, you're talking about divorce. Let's talk about credit cards. How many guys are sharing their credit cards? How many married couples don't share their credit cards? I would think that most of them do. The court right. does not address the status of the card because they don't have jurisdiction on the contract between the husband and wife and the credit card issuer. Okay? They can tell the husband and wife what to do. They cannot tell the credit card issuer what to do. Okay. And so what happens is that the responsible party is able to absolutely inflict punishment, either because of uh, they're unhappy about the divorce, they're unhappy about the custody, they're unhappy about visitation rights. Whatever the causation is, they're able to use that joint account status as leverage or punishment against their ex-marital partner. Well, the, the case that I was just on, the uh, there was about $15,000 $15, of credit card accounts that the two of them shared, plus um, 
uh, all kinds of late payment penalties, et cetera. And based on my calculation, I came up with a damaged credit factor for the uh, wife in this case. I uh, created a declaration. I never had to appear in court on this particular issue and was able, through the power of my declaration, to get the judge to award $35,000 in compensation to the wife. Above and beyond for as a punitive. Well, for restitution. Okay, but in a, in a punitive sense. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Wow. So what is it doable? Keep going. These are good stories. Yeah. yeah. Now, let's talk for a moment about if, if you really want to talk about divorce and divorce lawyers and family law, about some things that divorce lawyers can do to make their jobs easier and to better serve their clients. One of the first things they can do is to require the client to get a real credit report, not the kind you get for free or you know for uh, over the internet. You need to, they need to go to a mortgage broker or direct lender and ask for a pre-qualifying loan uh, uh, review. Uh, they'll probably have to put down uh, some information, but it, typically it doesn't cost them a nickel. Okay, uh, not in right. California anyway. And basically what's going to happen if they do that, they're going to get the complete and most accurate picture of the credit of each person involved in the divorce. So let's say that one of the parties in the divorce <clears throat> is hiding an asset. It's going to show up. Let's assume wow. that... So, so do, well, you know, normally what we do is you know, we find um, higher investigators who go through and they have all their passwords to, you know, multiple different, you know, search engines and things that they go and find those. So you can do that by, you know, by this valid, by this different, what do you call that credit report again? A certified? A, How do we identify a, that? A factual tri-merged credit report. Tri-merged means that all three bureaus are involved. Okay. Okay. And they can do, a paralegal can do this, uh, who can read credit reports can do this in a matter of less than an hour for whatever their wage rate is as opposed to paying hundreds of dollars to a private investigator. Oh, certainly. But isn't it, so what do you tell the mortgage? So again, if you were to call a mortgage broker or a lender, um, how, would you, how would you phrase this? What would you tell them? Again? I am interested in getting pre-qualified for a mortgage. Okay. And, and that's a standard industry um, uh, language. And it's not inappropriate for somebody to know, hey, do I qualify for anything? Do I qualify for something? Do I, if I qualify for something, what is it? So, I mean, it's an, honest, it's an honest question. It's not, you're not really being, you're not hypothecating at that point. It's an honest inquiry. No. Right, exactly right. And, okay. the, 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 uh, and you're telling the truth because if you have good credit and you can buy a piece of property, don't you want to do that? Now's the time. Now is the best time in a long time, yes. Yeah. So that's the first tip that I have for uh, family lawyers. Use a credit report. You'll have organized information on each party involved. And, uh, and they've got assets, for, assets on there too, so asset for asset finding and recovery too. Exactly. exactly. Okay, and, good. Uh, very often uh, the wife will find out that the husband, because we're not all nice guys, will find out that the husband has opened an account in their names, both of their names that she didn't know about. Mm -hmm. 
There it is in black and white. All right, what do they do next? Okay, so now you've got the credit report and you're uh, having the client agree or disagree as to what she knows about or he knows about uh, and what the financial status is of each party, okay? Well, now you start to divvy it up. Is he using these cards for business? Is he using these cards for personal? Uh, what is the use of these cards? Now we start to allocate assets and we start to allocate the debts, and here's the really fun part. We start to recognize the value of credit capacity because so far what we're really talking about is debt. The part that I come in for is credit opportunity and credit capacity. If you have a credit card, hypothetically, that has a $25,000 credit line on it, but you're only using, we'll say, $5,000 of it, that's $20,000 of value that is available to both parties or anybody that's a signer on the account, and you want to make sure that that's protected. Well, that's an asset, isn't it? I think it's an asset. Anybody in the lending business will tell you it's an asset, but nobody tells the judge because all the lawyers care about is what – What's owed? Don't, yeah, so don't, the, limit, don't limit your thinking to what's owed, including your thinking what's allowed, what's recognized, what is extended to the party. It's a new way of thinking. I can tell you coming out of family law myself, um, that's not something that in determining a marital estate that we ever really looked at was their, their buying power. And business well, is certainly an asset that's on a balance sheet. Well, I think it's just it's true for individuals. Imagine being without a credit card. Uh, how do you buy things? What if you're uh, uh, living on your credit cards? Not that I recommend that, but what if you're, you're uh, living on your credit cards between paychecks and somebody takes that away from you? What if uh, you want to go to the store and buy your, your groceries on credit? All of a sudden, you can't do that. What if you have to rent a car? I mean, there's all kinds of benefits to having credit, if that's oh, yeah, the way. I mean, just look, George, George, think of how many people, George, think of how many people use their credit cards to accumulate airline miles or credits towards their, uh, you know, kids, uh, you know, any any number of things. Uh, you know, many of us do that and pay loans, pay student loans to get airline miles. Sure. That's a yeah. huge asset. I can appreciate that. Okay. Now we're going to go to a whole different issue, Okay that yeah. almost nobody thinks about. And this is true particularly for older couples, not younger couples, okay? And that is, does the client, do both parties in this relationship have a credit identity? See, here's what happens. Um, and I'm going to go back to the 50s or 60s or 70s, depending on where you want to go, okay? Uh, it used to be that women used to go, and I think they still do, college to get an MRS instead of a PhD, okay? Ooh, ooh, and, um, potentially unpopular with some of our listeners, but okay. <laughs> well, in the so 70s, not today. In the, let's go back today. to the 70s. <laughs> let's go back to the 70s. So okay. <laughs> the, the happy couple meets, and they get married, and uh, the man is working at a higher-paying job than the woman, and he takes out credit cards, and he puts his new wife on his credit card. 
and he puts her on as an authorized user. He is never part of the credit application. That means she can use the credit card just like he does, but she has no financial responsibility for making payments because she's never been reviewed by the credit grantor. That's an invisible credit card user. At the point of divorce, when he would uh, retract, which he's allowed to do, her authorized use of the credit card, she is totally without credit. Think about that. I just It's a time bomb waiting to go off for so many people. Okay. I mean, it certainly is. Um, and right, and well, it gets you, more exciting... It gets more exciting because what if this relationship with credit starts when you're a teenager and dad says, hey, you can use my card while you're off at college or wherever you are, and now you're an authorized user. You get married, and your marital partner says, hey, I've got this credit card. I'm going to put you on my credit card. You're an authorized user. You still have no credit identity. That's a that's a really scary idea. You know what else is really scary is parents who are using their children's um, credit scores. I, you know, I was flipping through channels the other day and saw Judge Judy uh, reaming out some mother who would, you had used her daughter's um, information to uh, get a credit card. And actually, she was going through a divorce and she was paying her lawyer with credit leverage from the daughter's card. So uh, you know, it's. It's really well, that's big, identity. An interesting world out there. Yeah, it's <laughs> another. That's, that's, well, do you ever encounter that in credit damage? And, oh yes, and I will tell you that sixty percent of identity theft is done by a family member. Wow. Okay. Or a coworker, a family member who has all your information, and who, for whatever reason, says, "Well, you know, share and share alike. You've got it. I want it, so I'm using it." And I was involved in a case where a mother did exactly what you were talking about. She, uh, she had a daughter, and when their daughter was, I think, 12 or 13 years old, she established the wife, I'm sorry, the mother used the daughter's credit identity to, use, to run up a lot of bills, okay? The daughter's credit was so bad because of what the mother had done, she couldn't get student loans. Mm. Isn't that fun? Ouch. So the, the, the mother really impacted the lifestyle opportunities of her daughter. Oh, yeah. I don't want I mean, to... Especially when it's a hot time to be, go- you know, I, you have one shot almost at that, you know, one almost one bite at that apple. So what happened? Yeah. Well, uh, let's just say that the daughter took the mother to court and got a court decree saying that the credit identity used by the mother had to be separated from use after a certain date. And that way, because the the, uh, Social Security Administration is not going to change your number, and the, right. the credit grantors are used to using that identifying information, and there are procedures, certainly, in which credit can be resurrected. And I'm not talking about credit repair. I'm talking about resurrected and separation of credit which is key to divorce. Mm-hmm. The uh, Anyway, those are just two of the, of the three things that I thought every family lawyer and actually every litigator should know about their client where there's a credit issue. 
Okay, Rob, you want to rattle those off again for those who, uh, for benefit of our audience? Sure. When you are, you can, it's very doable to identify credit damage victims, either actual or potential, at intake of a case. And I have available to your listeners, absolutely free, uh, a credit damage intake form. I have seven different ones. And they can use them for divorce. They can use them for construction defect. They can use them for fraud, uh, uh, real estate transactions, including mortgage modification and predatory lending issues. Uh, There are 12 different kinds of litigation plus divorce that credit damage is a common factor. The, the, The requirement is let's see if there's enough damage to justify bringing it into the damage demand. So and again, so that intake. Part, yeah, and, and do it at intake. And where can they get those forms? Uh, they can get them at uh, creditdamageexpert.com. So that's your website, creditdamageexpert.com? Correct. Okay. Um, and what do they do with those forms then? Are they obli- how does it procedurally, um, once they go through, are they evaluating those? Do they call you? How does this work? Uh, on the form, we use the phrase, the more yeses you have, the more appropriate it is for you to call a credit damage expert. If the answers are not positive or there's no indication that some of the problems that we identify and we want the client to uh, express, uh, have happened or are expected to happen, then it's not a good case for credit damage. And that changes the aspect of uh, how you're going to litigate it. And we don't, I don't want to tell the lawyer how to run his practice, so we have uh, suggested questions and they can modify these forms in any way they want uh, to get the information that's going to be useful for all parties. So we tell the lawyer, modify this to suit your office. Now, here's another question. In when they are looking uh, at credit damage issues and you know financial picture generally, I know a lot of attorneys here in Chicagoland who uh, used accountants and economists. Um, mm-hmm. How do you work with them? Also, are they also parties we should bring to the table? Um, how how are you different? How are you unique? You know, because there are a well, lot of you know folks, forensic accountants. Um, I just don't know what, you know, what's the difference? Well, let's start with the word forensic. The only thing that is identified by the word forensic is that it's admissible in court. That's what forensic means, okay? So if you're a forensic uh, um, um, accountant, that means your accounting skills are recognized as being suitable for the court, reliable for the court, okay? Uh It doesn't mean that you're, you're a judge or a... I don't know how many people remember the old uh, medical examiner series, Quincy, but he was a a forensic uh, medical examiner, and that just meant that he could go to court. Uh, So uh, it's not all about science and chemistry and and all that stuff you see on CSI. That's uh, chemistry and and skills. That has nothing to do with forensic other than being qualified. The reality is that I work with accountants. I work with economists. But we do not do the same thing. An accountant basically is a historian. If it hasn't happened, an economist can't deal with uh, Excuse me. 
An accountant can't deal with it. So, again, they are historians. An economist is pretty much the same way. They have to have a basis. We all have to have a basis in history. Something has to actually have happened for us to have a platform on which to provide expertise. The Economist uses um, Bureau of Labor and Statistics uh, charts and graphs to uh, project things that might have happened. Um, one of the common things for an economist to do is to discuss lost earnings. So the economist can go to a Bureau of Labor and Statistics chart and say, if you're an accountant and you're 26 years old and you at here's how much you are expected to make, five years in the practice, 10 years in the practice, 20 years in the practice, et cetera, that's all they do, okay? And I'm not meaning to uh, demean that, but that's what they do, and they have some formulations to add what I will call punitive or real-time damage uh, value to those uh, numbers. What I do is I look at what will happen in the future to the borrower because of what has happened to them in the past. And what I do, what a, what a credit damage expert does more than anything else is to measure the difference between what it costs to borrow money before the problem, before the injury, and what it's going to cost to borrow money after the problem or after the injury. And we look at three different aspects of that borrowing situation. One is the out-of-pocket costs, which an, account, an accountant could do. I don't think an economist do, would do. The other thing is, what about the credit accounts that are lost? If before the injury, as an example, you had $50,000 in credit cards, and $500,000 in a mortgage. And as a result of the injury, you now have no credit card and your home was foreclosed on. That causes a damage with expectation of measurable damage. That's what I do. And the third part is loss of expectancy. If you have been a good borrower, if you have built up a credit reputation, which is reflected by but not defined by, but is reflected by a, a credit score. And we're arbitrarily going to say 750, okay? 750 is a good, a qualified borrower, reliable borrower. If as a result of the injury, your credit score drops significantly, and the more the drop, the more significant the damage, that is indicative of a change in uh, failure to pay expectancy, and now the lower it gets, the lower the expectation of getting new credit after the damage. So you have increased out-of-pocket costs, you have loss of existing credit, and you have denial or loss of expectancy of future credit. Those are the three damages that I get involved with. Now, George, I have a hypothetical question. Um, as you're explaining this, I'm, I'm thinking of two things. The first thing I'm thinking of is um, maybe not bad faith, but um, the lack of one of the parties to do their due diligence uh, to really keep their credit score up. So let's say maybe the, uh, you know, backing up to the divorce situation, maybe the husband really wanted to put the screws to the wife 
and um, caused a credit damage event, but let's say you know she's no saint herself. That's one example. The other example um, I'm thinking of is what happens when let's for for example um, there's an acceleration an acceleration cause is triggered by a loan due to malfeasance of one of the parties, and now you know the wife maybe you know could. She'd be forced, I guess, to pay the the higher premiums or the full amount. Um, you know, so kind of a con contributory negligence type of a thing. You know, both parties having some con uh, contribution to the credit damage. How are those addressed? Well, I can imagine that's where attorneys are going to end up fighting. Well, let's address that issue first of all. All credit is granted to individuals. A credit report is only about one person. Now there are credit reports commonly issued in mortgage situations where both the borrower, and here's the key phrase, the borrower and the co-borrower are both in one report. But it's a one report for convenience. Legally and technically, that's really two reports that are together because the Fair Credit Reporting Act says a credit report may only contain information about the person whose name is on the file. Okay. So if all credit is not shared, then it, it is identified in the merged report, merged between husband and wife or borrower and co-borrower. So it's easy, or I shouldn't say easy, it's very difficult to separate the credit status and the credit activities of each individual in this credit account factor, okay? One of the questions that I suggest that attorneys ask their new uh, client is, who is responsible for making the monthly bill payments? And if the wife, who is typically the one who does that, says, well, I have to do it because if it was up to John, you know, we'd never pay our bills. Well, that's a red huh. flag that goes up. Okay? That needs to be expressed in the petition and allocation of assets because if you're going to ask somebody who is a proven track record of being unreliable to pay bills, why would you delegate that responsibility to them? Do you see where I'm going? Yeah. Okay. Now, you asked, the other issue which you asked indirectly was, what if the credit's less than perfect? And my position is it has to be good enough to be damaged. If it's not good enough to be damaged, then there's nothing Ooh. to measure. So how do you know what's good enough well, to be damaged? Because uh, you know you could have bad credit and still buy a car. You're just going to pay, you know, or a house. You're just going to pay through the nose on interest. Well, that's okay. But let's say that after the injury, that you're going to be seeking compensation for. You have to be able to show that you could borrow. You have to be able to show that you were a C borrower instead of an, a hard money borrower, mm -hmm. because there's enough room for there to be damage. Okay. And that's why you need an expert. Wow. There's so much to know. Um, but it sounds like it's not – well, how long – When? here's another – there's so many questions, and I know that this is part two of our seven-part series. Um, and your colleague, Jim, you know, James Ryder, was on and introduced the concept in our first show. And then we will Good. look at some different practice areas uh, through the rest of our series. Um, but my question right now, um, because I have this picture in my head of – you know, being in the law office and having done the client intake and, you know, having considered the, um, you know, the credit, the credit worthiness and credit damage issues, 
and then they contact you. At what point do you get involved in the litigation? Is this is all pre-trial, um, or are we going to trial? Um, if we are going to trial, uh, what's your experience been with getting um, getting admitted as an expert in uh, California courts? I mean, we also have listeners in New York, Washington D.C., here in Chicago. Uh, you know what? What's what's the background there? How hard is it? Can you can you go to New York, for example, um, get get yeah. into the New York court system? How does that all work? Well, I've been a qualified expert for 15 years. Every state has slightly different rules for being a qualified expert. Uh, I have never testified in New York, but I would be surprised if I couldn't. I have uh, served in 17 states. Uh, the uh, that's the first question. Okay. Uh, the other question was, when do you bring me in? The answer is when you know there's a problem. Um, you know, when does somebody go to a lawyer? When it gets bad enough when they can't handle it themselves. And let me go back to the first story that I told you about the defrauded client. She was able to show the lawyer that if they did not include credit damage as part of her compensation, that she was only going to be partially compensated. And I do want to say, by the way, that in many cases, credit reputation is the largest single economic damage that somebody can suffer, particularly in a divorce. Because when you don't have your reputation, you're in deep trouble. When, you, when your ex-spouse has caused bill collectors to call you because of something that they have done instead of uh, you've done it to yourself, and by the way, that's one of the requirements, you can't have done this to yourself to the extent where your credit is no longer damageable. At that well, point, at what point, at, at what point are you doing it to yourself or not doing it to yourself? If someone injures you and you just, uh, it's not feasible. Um, you know, there are times that people can't. You know, what are you going to do? Beg, borrow, or steal to pay the higher premium? You know, what, what, how, how far are we expected to go? You know, well, that's why they have bankruptcy courts. Okay, that's why your lawyer will tell you, hey, you know, here's your situation. Make some choices. And I'm, I'm simplifying it very, very much, but that's what lawyers do. They, it gets down to a yes or no, do or don't do, what needs to be done. The, the reality is that we all deserve the best life we can get. And the, one of the ways that we do that is to protect what we have and keep getting more. And if you allow your ex-spouse to make bills for themselves that you're going to pay for, well, that's not fair, and, and the whole justice system is about justice. That's why credit damage, once it's measurable, can become part of a damage demand, because the justice system wants to provide justice to the injured party. That's why personal injury cases and divorces, let's find out who's doing what to who and to what extent. Sometimes you need an expert to explain it to the judge or the jury, and that's what I do specifically in the area of credit damage measurement. Now, can I give you a pat answer that says, well, if they're wearing a blue hat, then we know they're wrong. It's not that right. simple. Right, right. Okay? So, and any attorney will tell you every case is its own unique animal. And that's very true not only with the legal aspects of the case, but the credit damage or the credit aspects of the case as well. Every case needs to be reviewed. And as an uh, application of generalities, 
we are able to use the credit damage intake forms and we're able to use uh, some self-diagnostic uh, forms, which we'll talk about on the next show, okay? And mm-hmm. uh, remind me that to talk about when we do this next time about the credit damage score. We all know what a credit score is. Well, I have developed a credit damage score where the either the uh, client or the attorney can go online to a website, answer eight or nine questions, depending on which one they go to, and they will have a very clear and numerical indication as to whether or not they have a compensable credit damage issue. I look forward to it. George, I think that's all the time that we're going to use today. We're going to wrap up, but I just want to thank you for beginning uh, to shed light on the topic of credit damage issues in divorce and family law cases, not only here in Chicagoland, but also in your neck of the woods in California, New York, Washington, D.C., and all over the country. So thanks so much, George, for uh, being on today, and uh, we look forward to having you back next on the third Thursday of April. I don't, unfortunately don't have my calendar in front of me, but um, there, our series will be, again, every third Thursday. This is 2 of 7, so 3 of 7 is next month. So, uh, George, thank you again. I look forward to uh, answering any questions I can and opening up the compensation opportunities for our clients. Great. How do people get a hold of you in the meantime if they're burning to call you and uh, get they can started call on this? How do they get you? At, uh, they can call me at 714-441-0900. I'll leave a message, and I will get back to them. And if uh, they are an attorney, I'll, I ask is that they provide me with a case title or case reference so that they know I'm not just another salesman calling them, okay? And if they're the client, call the same number and simply say, I'm a client. I need help. Uh, One of the issues that comes up that I absolutely want to uh, uh, squeeze in here is I get a lot of calls from individuals who want me to refer an attorney in their own locale to them. I do not do that if I have not measured the credit damage because I respect the attorney's time too much to just send people blindly to take up their time. If it's not a good case, I don't want to take up the attorney's time. Well, I, on behalf uh, of, um, <laughs> as if I can speak for all attorneys in the country, okay. but um, you know, for someone coming out of the profession, I, 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 you know, it's very much appreciated. Good. All right. I'll talk to you in a, soon. Okay. Well, George, again, thanks for being on. And your website again? The website is creditdamageexpert.com. The uh, phone number is 714-441-0900. Great, great. All right, I'd also like to thank you all of our listeners today for tuning in to ALR PRA Radio. Uh, we strive to give you the nation's best law practice management experts with all the tips, tools, and trends that help you stay ahead of the curve. Again, ALR PRA Incorporated's mission is to help law firm and business patrons spend more time serving their clients by all professionally managing their production and promotional activities. Our mission's underlying values are transparency, flexibility, and humility. We are a full-service law practice management agency available nationwide when professional quality matters to your production and promotion. Thanks, everyone, and we will see you next week. Ed Pohl is going to be on our show, um, and he's going to be talking a little bit about buying and selling a law practice. So tune in next week to hear Ed Pohl and for all of those uh, who uh, the ABA Tech Show was in town here in Chicago today. So 
Uh, check that out if you're able. And uh, thanks again to George Finder and to all of our loyal listeners. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Thanks and goodbye. <laughs>